Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Priesthood Dispatches. He's a man. <laughs> it's awesome, funny, random, doesn't make any sense, but it's good. Hello, everyone. Trigger warning, washing and anointings up ahead. Keep your arms and legs inside the ride. Put your tray tables in the upright position and scream if you want to go faster. Um, this evening on Mormon Temple Expose number three, washing anointings, we'll look at the process of getting into the temple and all the way up to that ever special endowment room. Uh, and as usual, we brought some friends. So let us welcome. Julian and Laura Heath, and Peter Bleakley, and Nemo, with a shirt on, will be joining us soon. Um, how is everyone this evening? Yeah. Good. You okay? Good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, doing all right. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just the right temperature for a fat guy like me. You're just cuddly, that's all. Awesome. <laughs> Right then. Did, did anyone else just make crows then? Yeah, it's it's the awkward sound effect. Wait, <laughs> wait for it, Julian. All right, got ya. <laughs> Do you know what was in right my then. head when you said not to? I was thinking, is this too niche? It sounds like uh, Goldilocks porridge, doesn't it? Oh, the uh, Washington anointing. Yeah. No, right. you, no, the you... weather. Oh, the weather. No, it's mostly that. It's a bit close, isn't it? It's a bit muggy um, for anyone. Which age now? It's when you say it? it's a bit close, that... you remind me of Auntie Nobby with the hair that grew out of her mole, bless her. That's oh, all I can think of. Everyone's got an Auntie Nobby, haven't they, with a, ha- a hairy mole? Those, yeah. no? Those people that are watching from outside of the UK, this is like as British as, as it gets. You, we, we have to, before <laughs> we go into anything of any import, we have to discuss the weather first. Julian, no one is watching anymore. Exactly. Literally, all the viewers just left. <laughs> all right, then, let's get to it. Let's get to oh, who the, needs uh, them? the interesting bit. Welcome, everyone. Um, and as usual, in a moment, I'll be shaking my hat for likes. But until then, look oh, at this just... lovely slide. Really exciting. Washing and anointing. As I said before, trigger warning. Uh, we will be discussing what are difficult, I guess, things for people. I think this is the part of the temple that is the most, um, that is the the most touchy-feely um, and probably the closest to some kind of sexual assault. So, yeah, please be aware. We, we will speak about it. And um, if it's not for you, I totally get it moving onwards so in the past few episodes we've discussed uh temples in general we've discussed baptism for the dead and now um joseph smith has shuffled off this mortal coil brigham young has taken the reins of his um you know republic and moved them to mexico so we're now in mexican territory in salt lake city and here we just have a quick rundown of where the temple uh, ordinances were taking place. So 24th of July, Pioneer Day, um, is the official day just past that the um, 
pie and beer day, I think some people call it, uh, that the pioneers arrived in the Utah Valley. Guys, I always used to think that the pioneers were so lucky that God had saved the Utah Valley for them, like he'd saved America for Lehi and his family. But that just wasn't true. Like there were people already there, which shocked me. Um, and that Brigham Young and the the Mormons went on making it theirs in their own special way. But on the 5th of May, 1855, the endowment house, which is no longer used, um, was dedicated by Heber C. Kimball. You can see here on the right-hand side this wonderful image, the endowment house temple block in Salt Lake um, with a greenhouse at the back, which was lovely. Uh, and then the, the other... Um, temple dedications going on what i didn't realize was that brigham Young never actually lived to see the salt lake temple dedicated do you know that no no sorry we're muted no so, I, did I not guess know that. the dates there. no i guess because it was like was it wilford woodruff or john taylor who actually dedicated it yeah i never wilford. sort of clocked wilford. that therefore brigham young wasn't around of course interesting but does anybody know why because the st george temple was, was dead, the first one PD. obviously That's <laughs> but no why why was the st george temple built and dedicated before the salt lake temple i'm assuming Just one's keep... bigger than the other but it yeah. seems like st george is quite a long way away from salt lake especially by 19th century wagon standards um yeah it just seems strange yeah, you, ju you just answered it it's it just bigger the, the salt lake temples on a much bigger scale and that was meant to be the temple um, okay also well, they rebooted it didn't they because um originally it was had sandstone foundations that weren't going to last so they re restarted after spending quite a bit of time making sandstone foundations for it and there was, I mean, we got told some story in Sunday school, didn't we? That um, it was like a revelation that Brigham Young realized this wouldn't work. I think probably an engineering architect pointed this out to them first. But also they had to delay when um, an army came and occupied Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. So they buried the foundations of the temple. So I think there were lots of interruptions. It, it took a while. I'm a, I've got here um, the graphic from 1885. And it's got kind of a an illustration of Salt Lake at the time. And you can see they've got the assembly building, they've got the tabernacle, but the temple itself is only half built. So they're they're underway, they're doing their stuff, they're having conferences, they've got they've built Brigham Young's house and everything, but the Salt Lake Temple is still a massive work in progress at the time. Yeah. Peter, what year was that illustration? It was 1885. Yeah. If you notice, Peter, on that illustration, yeah. in the foreground, in order mm. to make that illustration yeah. um, like authentically Mormon, they added the anachronism of a man stood there on his iPhone. Um, and that <laughs> made it 100% made it authentic. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> did, um, did you no guys, need to reshow it. Did you guys ever watch the <laughs> film uh, Mountain of the Lord? Yes. Yes, yeah. and you've yeah. got that moment, haven't you, where the the guy is it Truman Angel, the architect? Yes, yeah, um, yeah. the office, and he's yeah with a really bad Scottish accent. It's it's brilliantly <laughs> awful, 
this Scottish accent and um yeah, and then you've got that scene, haven't you, with Brigham just kind of like standing at the side of the pit, like sitting down thinking all night. Yeah. What, yeah. Mm. But did you did you see I think it was in that as well when the army comes and they stuff everything yeah. with like bales of straw to burn it to the ground and they have all the men stood there with axes next to all the trees that they planted because they were like no one's going to take this ground from us and if they do it's not going to be like worth anything to them we're going to destroy it on the way out mm. um, and then the army marches mm. up and they turn around or whatever but i was that was like a mm. kind of hero moment it's like the patriot or gladiator moment where you're with them mm. yeah, yeah. Oscar winning. Oscar awesome. winning. And I think so when so when um people make a big thing of the fact that the endowment at St. George um had Adam God's doctrine in it um for a long time. And they it's always associated with the St. George endowment as if they have different ones at different temples. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that all makes sense because that's where Brigham Young did have control of of the endowment and form yes. got it going in its sort of Utah form to begin with. And um, the lecture at the Vale at the end included specific references to Adam God doctrine. Well, yeah, um, before so he that, died, that's why it's associated with Saint George. Yeah, yeah. Before he died, it was only the endowment house and Saint George Temple had been dedicated. So. Mm everything else was there after mm. cool little tidbit Does anybody know how far away i mean uh, i know you've got lots and lots of temples in utah but how far away are you looking at geographically between salt lake and st george um yeah it's a long trek is it yeah. okay. it is uh salt lake it's st george huh, 307 pounds it's 270 miles <laughs> that's a lot Okay. So, yeah, if you're yeah, only so covering take, what's that? 20 miles a day. Hmm. So I think they had they called it the honeymoon trail or something, where people would get married in Salt Lake and then head down to St George to get sealed. Um. So a lot of the early pioneers were kind of their honeymoon would be, um, traveling down to that temple, and where where the desert people are. <laughs> Go crazy! It's a completely different climate. <laughs> yeah, it must. Well, they were polygamous then, and they're polygamous now. <laughs> you know, you know what yeah. though? Thinking about what we're about to discuss, Saint George in the heat must have absolutely like hummed, because mm -hmm. with the oil and people being covered in oil, like head to toe in the heat, not washing, it must have been just a just a haze of of crispy people sizzling in oil constantly right, right then that on that note thought. yeah 300 <laughs> likes ambitious i know <laughs> um we have broken 300 on a few broadcasts so uh yeah as marco said hit the like button we're currently on 17 which is okay for 11 minutes in so if we go for 300 minutes tonight guys we might get there um, we also might get a lot of dislikes after so long because they just want us to be quiet. Okay, getting ready. For... Right, we've got to earn this. We're earning it. So from Evolution of the Mormon Temple, 1842 to 1990, we are just going to go through the first few paragraphs of this because this gives us kind of a concise um, illustration of what it was like 
back then to prepare to go to the temple. Not today, because we know today, at least in my time when I was preparing to go, they didn't do anything for us. Now they're doing a lot more with Bednar's whole, you know, oh, we need to let them know what they're getting into before they get into it, which is quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, it says the first step towards taking the endowment is to go to the bishop of the ward to which the candidate belongs. If the candidate pays a full tithing, a recommend is given him at once. So that seems like a very uh, small stipulation. And when people go on about paying for your endowments, like paying to get into heaven, if literally the only stipulation was pay your full tithing and you can go to the temple and go to heaven, you know, at least now they can dress it up as like, uh, there's, that's just one small part of the mission. Uh, I wonder if because they're in the midst of actually building them, it's yeah. um, a lot more acceptable for it to be high on the list and yeah, the so. requirement. Yeah. Uh, well, it goes on to say they did countersign it with the state president. Then they go on to purchase or procure his or her temple clothing. Um, then uh, for a man, this would consist of, um, sorry, Mike Barr. I've uh, been speaking to Mike this week. Uh, Mike was on a show with Bill Real last week. Everyone should go and listen to it. Thank you, Mike, for your donation. So back to this. Um, for a man, it consists of the undergarment, a shirt and a pair of white pants, a robe, a girdle, um, a cloth, uh, a cloth. But uh, going through, it's pretty much the same thing. But for the ladies, the robe and girdle and I think a garter, the ladies needed as well. Um, I'm not seeing it. At some point, the ladies need a garter um, on which is written the Latin for the order of the garter which we don't have anymore. So that was weird. Um, so the, the clothing seems yeah. to have been pretty much the same. So Temple recommends down the years. Uh, this one on the left was the oldest one I could find, but it was just a bad picture. But it kind of gives um, some sort of idea as to what is going on. You know that there were temple recommends way back then and then up through the years 1944 and um, for this lovely specimen at the top and then a little bit closer to today we all remember this one on the right with the barcode um and did you know hmm, did you know that sisters can now run the recommend desk oh. when did that happen six months ago I had no idea they couldn't run it before. No, so you, you, you so now, older. So they can hand people towels and say hello to people as they're coming in. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> crazy. It's the, it's the full, full range from maid to secretary. <laughs> oh. That would be the result of the surveys. You know, we've been discussing um, how change happens in the church and uh, uh, Rami Ampton Ruminations did a brilliant interview with a guy who used to work for the church's um, PR, well, not PR, market research department. 
Um, you know, every so often members get these surveys by email, asking them about really specific topics. And I, th it, I think the fact that they've made adjustments to the the procedures One. at the temple to to let girls pick up the towels and do secretarial stuff um, is a response to wow. sort of feedback <laughs> in the surveys saying, you know, there is stuff women could do. Why are we not doing this? Um, so I think well, that's, you know, I think that points to that mechanism for change happening in the church, that they just randomly make these differences in the temple particularly, um, but well, never explain them or announce them publicly. Well, yeah. Girls have been recognised as having eyes as well, because not only can they witness baptisms <laughs> uh, in their local ward, yeah. they can be the witness uh, in the baptistry at the temple as well. So. There is there is that safety net as well because it's a barcode, isn't it? So if both of you are just going beep, yeah, but it's but it's it's the spirit of discernment that they need. Well, if you didn't if you didn't have the barcode, then you'd be relying on the spirit of discernment, wouldn't you? But now they've got the barcode, you don't need that. So you can put a woman there. You don't need the priesthood. Yeah, well, no, because don't you think that the person at the mm. desk, their responsibility is to catch all the liars? You lied to your bishop and state president, and I know it because I'm in the temple. Yeah. That's what they should mm. know. Maybe you know what I mean? I'm trying to think if there was a time where I would have thought that. I know, I know people that would have thought that, <laughs> that would have been worried about that mm. for sure. But it wouldn't even cross my mind to lie in order to do it. That's the thing. I salute the people that really desperately wanted to go to the temple and felt that was the only way that they could go and benefit because I think you do what you got to do. Yeah, Paul Toscano told me about a time when him and his wife were going to a family member's wedding and the brethren had the state president call ahead and cancel his recommend. So when he got there with all of the family um, in Arizona and they all lined up mm -hmm. to hand over their recommends, they took his off him and his wife's and sent them away. Uh, that's terrible. Bit of a That's bit what of happens a... when Boyd K. Packer takes a guinea. Yeah, poke in the eye. Um, temple recommend questions. So speaking of lying to the bishop, uh, we know that on April the 6th, 2019, there was a newly revamped set of temple recommend questions, making it ever easier to enter the Mormon temple because... So I'm just... Look at that, that first one. Have you committed murder by shedding innocent blood or consenting thereto? Now, is that because that was a lot more common a thing to happen, or is it because everyone was murdering happen? each other? <laughs> or is it because they're they're oh kind God. of trying to align a little bit with the Ten Commandments? No, I think oh, this. Have a quick look for I think this one. So from the 1857 list. Now I can't uh, testify to the veracity or authenticity of this list. Reddit did not give a reference, but I thought it was a good uh, example. If it is true, if anyone can um, correct us or make it any better, that'd be great. Number six is interesting. I've got one from 1856. Okay. So the qualification, would you like me to read that for you? This is the time of the Reformation as well. Yeah. Well, I just, before we go away from that first question, before you read that, Julian, I think that first question is kind of like uh, the ambulance people, you know, when you call 999 and they say, <laughs> 
the first thing they say is, is the patient breathing? Okay. Yeah. I think this, this is that kind of, um, is the patient breathing? Because if you say no, then they know to get everyone there all at once. And if you say yes to this, they know the only way to save you is blood atonement. So there right. is a man right. stood outside the office with a javelin waiting to finish you off. You know, just hold your recommend up and uh, yeah, we'll just stick it straight through it. Julian, go ahead. Okay, so this this is actually from a first presidency. Um, this is from 1856. This is from a first presidency communication um, to the state presidents. It says, the persons who can get their endowments must be those who pray, who pay their tithing from year to year, who live the lives of saints from day to day, setting good examples before their neighbours. Men and women, boys and girls over 16 years of age who are living the lives of saints, believe in the plurality of wives, do not speak evil of the authorities of the church and possess true integrity towards their friends, can come up after their spring crops are sown and their case shall be attended to. So what's missing from that? The money. No, tithing's in there. No, tithing's in there. Hmm. Any other groups? I like your list, PD. What? I mean, to be honest, I think this is a better list because the every pretty much everything that's in the temple recommend now is measurable stuff you can get trot through quickly. You know, Ooh. are you paying your financial dues? Have you paid your tithing? Do you wear the garment as you should do? I, you know, it's all this this sort of measurable concrete stuff but that list has got much more to do with honesty with how you're actually getting down to it you know are you treating your neighbors well have you been nicking their mules have you you know are you violent are you making sure your family bathes <laughs> i love it well what, you know, what the, was the what was missing right from there. what was missing from... um, word of wisdom there's no mention of word of wisdom in there in your That's in true. that one yeah because they weren't living it yeah. or certainly you know not not like we are expected to now um i, th I think in did it say he didn't say anything about sustaining the president either did it uh yeah it, it did talk about not saying bad things about the church authorities but yeah so in 1881 yeah they um they kind of decided to revamp the school of the prophets and and in the minutes for those kind of initial meetings where they talked about how they were going to run it, um, one of the things that was discussed was, oh, well, you know, maybe the word of wisdom should be a uh, should be a, a, um, a commitment that, that people have to make. And then they kind of went round the the quorum of the twelve, and they all basically confessed to what they were doing. <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, yeah. I, I drink this and I I do tobacco and all of that stuff. I mean, there was a spittoon in the in the Salt Lake Temple at one point. Well, I mean, point eleven over here. Have you been intoxicated? Intoxicated with strong drink. It doesn't mean that you can't have strong drink. It just means have you been intoxicated? Mm. Yeah, so. and, and strong drink was you know we're talking spirits, so drinking. Yeah. Drinking beer was was wasn't really an issue until the nineteen twenties. I don't think. No. Okay. Which yeah. coincidentally is around the time of prohibition in the states. Anyway, that's a different um, that's a different podcast, isn't it? There's so many yeah. things. It's just it's, it really it shows where they're trying to hone in 
depending on what time period you're at. I think it's interesting that this temple, I can, on 1857, so 1856 is, um, when is uh, Mountain Meadows? Ooh, let me find out. Come on, let's look. Do repress the hireling and his wages. You know, there's some, there's a, they they were living quite communally in some ways. So there's very much this idea that if everyone's going to get along, you can't be robbing each other's animals. You need to pay your workers well. You need to earn your wages. So there's quite an emphasis on actually building a, an economy, a real society here in, in what's prioritised. Whereas I think what's a difference that sticks out for me for the current temporary questions is to do with, are you keeping your covenants? Um, it's there. Yeah, I mean, they've got chastity in there. So I think you haven't committed adultery by having yeah. any connection with a woman that's not your wife or a man that is not your husband. I mean, in here, it sorts that out by believing the narrative of wives. So that'll halve a lot of, you know, some of the infidelity because you've got that in this one here. It's interesting as well, bearing in mind what you just said, Peter, there about kind of com communal living and, and all the stipulations that are in this. You know, if this is um, kosher, um, the fact that in the 1856 one that I just read, it basically just kind of says have integrity towards your neighbours, and then it's like, no, we need to get specific here. We need to get 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 the details out. Yeah, well, but that's they, a shame, isn't yeah. it? Because actually, if you're gonna if you're gonna trust somebody, if we've got this whole idea of teach them principles and let them govern themselves, then surely saying, have you got integrity? Um, you know that's between that person and the lord it's a shame that we now have to hone in because now we've made it um a tick box exercise where as long as you can kind of answer these questions you can kind of swerve and sidle around integrity as a as a main issue i mean i know it says are you honest in all your dealings which i think should be probably the main mm. question yeah but i think if you imagine this is the the rule of law is the church and this is the the best rule kind of the best tool that they can use in order to keep everyone in line um so if it does become very specific and very prescriptive then you imagine that that's good for because everyone's a mormon so you know if they've all got to live by those rules in order to attain their idea of exaltation then that's one way for the police, you know, who are the church anyway, to police um, the community. Uh, John Barnsley said that St. George Temple, oh, hello, St. George Temple was the first temple because the saints there were apostatizing en masse. They were in a hot desert with little water and living in dugouts. And that Brigham Young sponsored the temple build to give the saints work and a purpose which whether that's true or not i don't know but i can see that being the case mm. i love I don't, i'm i'm sorry i'm i'm still riffing on how good that 1815 thing is it asks do do you covet so basically it's trying to include the 10 commandments and mm. this is something that's bothered me for years is why does our temple recommend interview deal with such obscure trivia and not actually just deal with the Ten Commandments. And this does. And particularly, can you imagine if you're asked in a Temple Recommend interview, have you coveted anything? You know, that'd be a really profound and powerful sort of 
moral test to give yourself and to think about. But I think they just they don't like those kinds of open-ended questions so much because it takes ages, you know, and people might start having, you know, like, oh, I have, sorry, I can't have a temple recommend. You know, it's much easier when you've got a, a fairly simple tick list, you can just trot through and move on to the next interview. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how much that tail has wagged this dog because, the, you know, this these earlier versions are a much more thorough, broad, balanced kind of assessment of your actual Christianity than than the ones that we have now, I would argue. But interesting as well. So this is 18, when in 1857 did this come out, for instance, because so Mountain Meadows was in September of 1857. So the first one on there being murder. But no, well, no one knew about it for ages though, did they? Yeah. Wasn't it months later that anyone found out that it even happened? Yeah, but well, didn't they? A bunch of them. They came back with a load of children, didn't they? Yes, they did. Mm. But did the did they see that the Mountain Meadows massacre was murder? Because wasn't it? No, because they weren't innocent, were they? No. Yeah, in their eyes, they weren't innocent. So it's it's subjective in that respect. Mm. And coveting as well, you know, like you said, been. but considering they've just kind of colonised. Uh, an area that's already populated. Sorry, my my mic keeps dropping in and out. I don't know what it's doing. Um, I'll fix it for next time. But that that signal does mean chat shit for thirty seconds. Whilst it, com- whilst it comes back. Right, right there. So getting into oh, the temple. Do that. Getting into this. the temple. So the annex, um, which was, this is killing me. So the annex. Do you, can someone read that? I don't know if we can. Can anyone read that? The annex. The annex. Um, armed with the recommends, the endowments, clothing, the. Sorry, I'm. It's too small on the screen for me. The candidate, the candidate goes, to the goes to the temple. Hello. <laughs> I'm back. And then does by the annex the door of which is nearly always open. There, here he finds a small room which has the appearance of an office. Okay, so down here we've got the plan to the endowment house. Um, And down here at the bottom on the ground floor, we've got the reception room or this kind of annex area um, that it's speaking about. And then this leads through into the initiatory room. So before we speak about the initiatory, one thing I thought was very interesting on this plan was what's in the initiatory room shown there. Oh, and they are these lovely, uh, one side for men, one side for women. And these, um, how to put it, bathtubs um, that they've got down here and then these stalls that they have here and we'll see what they're for in a moment but yeah it's um the endowment house so yeah you you go in there and it says here you find a small room with the appearance of an office in the center of this room is a table on which is some suggestive 
cash the contribution of those who have gone before him at this table he presents his recommend so that that seems strange it's kind of like a busker on the street starting with his guitar box out and thinking oh i'll put a bit of cash in there first to suggest to everyone that people have already given me some and that they can give some too you know what i mean it's kind of like getting you off to a good start um so suggestive cash um so your recommend is examined and if it's good for six months and makes a donation of cash the very poor were told um they're not expected to contribute they can however be made um to feel very uncomfortable so sorry say that again we made to feel, to uncomfortable. feel very uncomfortable which is kind of like today anyway when everyone in like the prosperity gospel is rocking up in their, you know, smart suits in posh cars and different things. And then maybe people from uh, the other side of town come to church and don't feel quite as, um, I don't know. I've, I've felt it before when you're just, you're not living up to that other person's standard of a Range Rover sport with, all of his wives and children and different things in the massive house. So, no, you guys have all got a Range Rover Sport. Awesome. <laughs> I just don't care. <laughs> so, having presented his credentials and paid his fee, um, he he goes to the recorder's desk uh, where there are three or four recorders. To one of these, he gives his genealogy which consists of a place where he was born, his name, uh, the name of his parents, etc. If he is to take an endowment for the dead, he gives the data concerning them, the data for sealing or marriage and given to another recorder. So here, I think it's interesting to see today, if you go to the temple, you can just go and do an endowment or you can just go and do initiatory. But here, I think the whole process was like the sausage factory from beginning to end. You couldn't pick and choose just to go and do an endowment. You had to start at the beginning with the initiatory and go through the whole thing. Uh, Which I um, I endorse that. I think that's that's the way it should be. Um, I, <laughs> I need to explain that, don't I? Um, I I really like the temple. <laughs> I know I'm. I know that's really bizarre, but I do. I, I like ritual and. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff, so so um, a lot of these, this stuff is found throughout um, ancient religions. A lot of kind of temple ceremony and some of the things that we, we're going to be looking at um, is found elsewhere. And I think the reason for that is probably because it works. You know, it's a kind of a shared, it's in a kind of collective human psyche. Um because of how it works on us and i think i don't think we do a very good job which i think i've talked about before um but you know it should be when you go to the temple you are going on this journey and and unfortunately as i've said before the the temple mormon temple ceremony <clears throat> presently is focused way too much in my opinion focused much on really there and it's not really necessarily a particularly enjoyable experience for the, the living people that are going through it. And, and, and the focus should be on them. And 
those initiatory um, ordinances are all part of that kind of journey that, that you go through when you go to the temple. Um, and so that's how it would have been anciently. Um, yeah. So I think that's right. That makes sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think um, it's it's probably in one way, like you said, the best part of Mormonism. And because no one else does it like Mormons. Well, the Masons do it a little bit like Mormons because we do it a little bit like them. But it's that's the interesting bit, isn't it? That's the that's the nod, nod, wink, wink moment to other Mormons in the, you know, car park or whatever, or, or when someone makes the joke of like, you can buy anything in this world with money, um, you know, and everyone's on an inside joke. It's, it's the secret club that every religion should have, because isn't it all about progression? And the progression in this life is to attain, you know, the, the secret club level VIP member. <laughs> Um, and when you've been in enough meet enough uh, meetings that tell you that you are a peculiar people and you should be embracing the idea of being a peculiar people, um, and that you work hard to not be of the world, all of these platitudes that kind of help you to set yourself apart in some way, the temple is helpful in that way. It's helpful to kind of feel like you legitimise those statements when you sometimes feel a bit at odds with yourself for not belonging. Yeah, and I think that the temple, I always felt great coming out of the temple because I think it was just such a good like cleanser, if you know what I mean, kind of like from all of the worries outside. Like I don't subscribe to the whole, it's because that's the spirit and that's the only place you can get that. You know, I think there are other places um, you know, yoga retreats or what, whatever it might be, places where you can go in order to find some kind of uh, peace and oneness almost with yourself. And that place for me was the temple where you'd go and there were, you would be free from all the distractions and phones and work and everything. And for two hours, it was just your chance to, you know, have a good nap and you know do a little bit of role play and go to the celestial room and that was it for me and i came out feeling feeling better about myself because i was in the world but not of the world and i was doing what i was supposed to be doing but also just feeling like a little bit cleansed of stress you used to be it's it's a huge ego boost to be told you are the elite in the world. You're one of the very few people in your entire country who's been deemed worthy to experience this amazing thing. You're getting first dibs on heaven. Eventually, everyone in the millennium will be doing this, but you you get to do it right now. I mean, that's ex that's an extraordinary thing to to believe that you're experiencing. On on what you were saying about um how that kind of an experience, regardless of whether God is present or not just works. Um, I had a couple of really interesting experiences on my degree course. I did this wacky um, art and related arts degree at Chichester University and it, half of it was doing our own sort of disciplines but the other half the English art, music and dance students would get together and do collaborations 
and two of the sort of perform in immersive performance art things that that some of my fellow students did um, explored this idea of ritual and space. So one of them, um, we actually had our feet washed. You know, we agreed to do it, and there were about four of us sitting in a row on chairs, and she put a sheet over our heads. So we're in this very white space. You know, you can't see anything, but there's music. And then she washed our feet. And so it was she didn't have to look you in the chilling. eyes. Well, obviously. <laughs> um, and and that was amazing because I've, no, I've never had my feet washed, you know. And obviously, as a Christian, that's uh, that's something what? that's in the Bible, the idea of Jesus washing your feet. But um, you, what's, oh, what's Peter, what? you, you've never had your what? feet washed. You need to get on to Lynn. Well, Laura does mine every weekend. <laughs> I do Lynn's actually. I get the sandpaper out and do her flat feet. She's got really cute. <laughs> All right, guys. But the other one, which was really like the endowment, was amazing. Um, one of my the students, she divided the, the chapel on campus um, with sheets kind of hung on ropes into spaces. And it was almost like a maze that you went through. And each space was a sensory experience. It might be sound, it might be touch. You had to go through it barefoot. So one of them, she had all these bark chippings. And you're kind of walking on that and feeling it and putting your hands in blank boxes. And, and there might be some goo in there or something. But it, again, it was um, when I read a description of the endowment at the Nauvoo Temple. And it was exactly like this because they divided up the space with sheets. And you, you're going into one enclosed space after another. It's quite ethereal. There's lights coming through it. You can hear sound from other places. And then these characters will jump out and talk to you. You know, Adam and Eve, and then Lucifer comes and challenges you. And it, as, as Julian was saying, it's this amazing, immersive, ritual theatre experience. And what, something that really struck me when I was um, teaching religious education for several years at my school um, is that this is the basis of religion, you know, animist religion, the religion of basic tribal society um, involves taking the young people out of their usual environment, taking them to the sacred lodge um, or, or a sacred space, and then telling them the stories of their ancestors, the myths of their people, initiating them into secret ritual. Yeah. So this way you graduate into adulthood and then return sort of filled with the lore of your tribe and whether accidentally or not all these mormons sort of who, who really probably wouldn't frame it in that way in any way whatsoever are doing really basic fundamental primitive things so that i think this you know i really resonate with what julian's saying that we need ritual that ritual is powerful um and and it's a shame that we are compromising what the endowment could be um because we clearly our current leaders have no idea about that they're just embarrassed they treat it as as a machine thing a factory process of do these ordinances for the dead get your numbers 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 names numbers names numbers they keep simplifying the ritual and de decluttering it to make it faster and more efficient they've de physically destroyed the salt lake temple to to get everyone into little film pods now instead of going through from room to room and in in that journey you know um and it's just tragic and 
as I've said before, I've got friends who are Mormon Masons who are just lamenting this loss of what what it could and should be. Um, yeah, so to, it's it's actually Would really interesting be... looking at these early versions where where it was more meaningful, where it was that journey, and where where your criteria for being there was to genuinely follow the Ten Commandments and kind of be a Christian person, not a few things that are easy to tick. Yeah, yeah, and. Again, we've got you, know, you. You're talking there about what a pattern that we're seeing in that rather than having a living prophet that is giving us more, you know, this is what we're supposed to be getting. We're supposed to be getting more. We're supposed to be having more revelation, more scripture. It's all more, more, more. And what we're doing is we're stripping back, we're dialing back, yeah. and we're having less and less and less taking away. You know, yeah. I mean, I haven't been to temple for a while. But I understand there's no video anymore. Uh, and I know that there were kind of practical reasons for that um, related to who made the films. Um, you know, but but that's... And again, if you go back to the time that we're talking now in the early Mormon temple, it would have been relatively entertaining, I imagine. You know, these people probably didn't go to the theatre very often. So to go and, and go through that experience... Um, would have been entertaining and, and, and temple was always entertaining. that's where theater comes from you know the temple is the birthplace of theater um and and now instead of what you know what we should be doing is they should be having these meetings where they go okay well we need to adapt it now to the needs of modern people and we've got to make it special for people. And instead, but they haven't because I don't think they even really understand what it's all about. Because again, I'm sorry, I, PD, because we're talking generally again here, and we want that you want to kind of get back to this, this uh, the topic for t today. But um, they've, there's this sense, isn't there, when you go to the temple of, oh, it's all symbolic, and you'll come to it. The more you go, the more you you, you know you ponder it, you'll come to understand it. And that's really nonsense, isn't it? You know, you, you don't, you don't understand it anymore. And, um, and, just and I think- You become desensitized to the craziness of that. Yeah, and, and I think that that's a kind of get out of jail free um, card for them because they can just go, oh, well, you just don't understand it. Okay, well, you explain it to me then. Cause I don't think they really understand it. And that's why it's becoming worse and worse and worse. And the only way it's possibly getting better is it's getting shorter so people can just go through quickly tick that box and move on mm. you know on that topic though i visited with marco and maven when they were over here i visited the um yeah. york minster and they've got these amazing massive uh like uh stained glass windows massive ones okay and they were saying that it was quite a spiritual experience of people coming there because you imagine the world they lived in was quite dull and everything was a bit dirty and they'd never they'd never seen colours like this before with the sun shining through these vibrant religious scenes mm -hmm. of Jesus. And that was a very ethereal and spiritual experience for them people. And I could kind of feel that myself looking up at it with the sun coming through. And I think the temple was a similar thing. When you live on the frontier and when you live in hardship and different things but then you go to the temple and there's all this pageantry and uh you know ritual and different things it is the pinnacle it is the you know saturday night television what whatever it might be the light entertainment that those people get 
that they're not getting anywhere else. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah. Could I just yeah. ask as well, do we have a sense of how many people are being, or percentage, I should say, of people? Because we were just talking about how even now, if you've got your temporal record, if you're, te you're, you're kind of um, divided between temporal recommend holders and non-temporal recommend holders to some degree, back then, what was the percentage of people that were actually being able to go to the temporal? I imagine it was a much smaller percentage. You know, you're certainly not going to have anybody other than white folk going to the temple anyway. So... I mean, do you mean in terms of the, the church membership? Yeah, so I imagine the idea of being chosen to go and take out your endowments is also, you know, already being chosen in some degree. I think, I think that was more the case initially, but but no, I think, you know, wide. by the Salt Lake period, I think they were trying to get as many. I mean, you think about think about Nauvoo, how how many how long was it operational? It was only operational mm. for about four days. Yeah, and they, they went got day and night. Yeah, I, I can imagine that they'd get as many people in there as they possibly could. Um, so, but let's let's have a look at what the first step was: the washing and anointing. Okay, in February 1906, the Salt Lake Tribune treat us with uh, step by step going through um, the the whole endowment process. And the reason for this, the reason for them uh, publishing this kind of uh, expose almost on what happens in the temple was all the context was the Reed hearings were going on and they were trying to, I guess, demystify everything going on in the temple and things. So what they did is they published this, um, just everything in the Salt Lake Tribune and I've taken this cutting from it here in 1906. So I know this is a little bit later than the endowment house. This is in the Salt Lake and this picture on the right-hand side of the bathtub is in the Salt Lake Temple. But when I was speaking about the bathtubs in the endowment house and the stools, this is the bathtub and the stool kind of thing that we're talking about. Um, so it says, in the dressing room, all clothing is removed, excepting the garments, and they are taken off. Oh, and these are taken off and handed to one of the attendants as the candidate enters the bathtub. The man who um, attends to the washing rubs the head, the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the lips, the breast, the vitals, the loins, the legs and the feet. This being done, the candidate leaves the tub in hurried, and hurriedly wipes dry and then mounts a stool, stool being there on the left, um, find where, I was, uh, where he is anointed with oil poured from the ram's horn the same parts being anointed that were washed just previously. He then stands while a man places his garments over his shoulders, telling him uh, that the garments are after the pattern that the Lord gave to Adam and Eve, um, and so on. So it is literally a washing. Mm. Amazing. Like, that's nuts. We've sensibilities. Yeah, um, and and this I, go on. No, I, I was just going to say. I know this you is, would I, love I, it. But I, you can't. I'm not speaking. I'm not speaking as a an expert <laughs> in this at all. I think I think Victorian sensibilities were to some extent um, a a privilege of the wealthy. There, there must have been, you, you know, when you when you when you take into account the fact that most people were living in a, you know, there was a um, 
a survey done um, in, I can't, I'd just be making a guess, but it's something, you know, in the late 19th century in Liverpool, where 51 people were living in one room in a house. I can't imagine when there are 51 people living in one room, you can say, would everyone mind just going out while I get changed? You you know, it's just not going to happen. So I think, I don't think it would have been as shocking to people Mm. back then as it is to us now. Mm. Yeah. And to be honest with you, looking at this, I was disappointed that my first trip to the temple wasn't just like eyes wide shut where Tom, uh, Tom Cruise walks through, you know, the, that whole uh, room and that's what it should have been. And this sounds like it was, if I'm honest. So, yeah. So you, you get You're you get washed it. You get washed in the bathtub. If anyone's not seen Eye Wide Shut, it's a PD recommendation for no, this weekend. Um, not with the kids. Um, can yeah. I just, can you just go back to that one a minute? Sorry. Um, just a point about the Salt Lake Tribune. Um, this wouldn't have been the church trying to publicise the no. details of the temple. This would be a hostile expose. Salt Lake Tribune was the anti-Mormon newspaper in Utah. Um, yeah. It was kind of a counterpoint to what became Deseret News and what have you. So yeah. this is kind of piling it on with, with oh, it was, you know, what actually goes on in the temple as an expose. The church would not have wanted this being published, I expect. Yeah. And um, should we, we explain what the Reed Smoot hearings were? That um go, go basically Reed Yeah, Reed Smoot was uh, elected as a senator for Utah, I think. Um and there were hearings about whether he could actually sit and be be in the government and there was a lot of concern and criticism that because he was um that because the Mormons were still secretly practicing polygamy, and I think he was polygamous, I think, um, and other leaders certainly were, there was a whole sort of congressional investigation that got big headlines. And Joseph F. Smith, I think at the time was the president, I don't know, um, you know, appeared at these hearings and testified. And there's a there was a plan by someone um, in the blog anacle was going to try and do a project kind of recreating the whole hearings which is like a whole book word of text uh, but you know piles of it um which had been quite interesting but it was a distinctive moment and it was when i think they issued the last manifesto banning polygamy because it turned out people were still doing it um and that that was kind of the catalyst for the final break with the fundamentalists to carry on doing their thing and, and breaking from the mainstream church um yeah so really interesting sort of pivotal moment in history a bit like the reformation in utah that you were referencing earlier laura that happened in the 1850s and and wasn't the reed smoot hearings, wasn't the reed smoot hearings where um joseph f smith admitted to have never received a revelation yes yeah, yeah, and he they because they, they were asking him, making it kind of a mystical thing, and he mm. kind of said, "No, the last one mm. was like with Brigham Young or something mm. like that." Um, so mm. sorry, so he said, "I in that court hearing, didn't he say that there's not been another, um, hasn't been a polygamous ceiling or plural ceiling since eight since 1890, the manifesto." He said in that court mm. hearing, but he also said, "What? Sorry, what about Revelation?" Uh, that he'd never received one. 
because they they were asking basically or about anything or about or about plural marriage about anything as president of the church what revelations have you received like this isn't verbatim um but this is what they were asking him and he said that he'd never received the revelation and listed the last revelation as being from brigham something like okay that. So we'll seen a vision said, maybe John Taylor's 1886 revelation then either oh no of course he wouldn't under those circumstances yeah. but mm. yeah so but i think i think the maybe the threshold for revelation was a lot higher than than it is now whereas you know russell m nelson just whacks his little plaid out and he's like receiving you know wendy out the room and that's a, a revelation whereas back then maybe they were a little bit more reverent about it and we're like, when the Lord really needs to make something happen, he will reveal it. Um, and for now, we're just caretakers. But 